Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. Hello, this is Adam Huss coming to you from Los Angeles. Thanks for listening. This episode is sponsored by Centralis Wine, and that's my winery. Centralis is a Los Angeles-based, ecologically-focused winery dedicated to connecting you to local farming that improves the environment through wine. There's a lot that goes into that, from supporting viticulture that is regenerative, to using lightweight bottles and minimal packaging, to incorporating fruit that is native to our part of the world and grows without need of added water or chemicals, and many other things. You can buy our wines, join our email list, and learn more at centraliswine.com. That's C-E-N-T-R-A-L-A-S wine.com. It's a pleasure to introduce you to Rob Durham of Durham Cider and Wine Company in this episode. Rob is rocking the California Central Coast cider scene, but also makes cider that represents the entire West Coast of the U.S. Rob's journey to start Durham Cider and Wine didn't follow a straight path, so this conversation rambles around a bit, uncovering fascinating and really admirable insights into his knowledge and experience at every turn. This interview was scheduled at the last minute due to harvest schedules, so we didn't have time to have a preliminary chat before recording. So I'm really getting to know Rob in real time as you listen along. And as I was doing the post work on this episode, I realized I have a lot more questions for him, and I really look forward to talking with him again. I hope that, like me, this conversation will cause you to want to get to know him and his ciders better. Enjoy. Okay. Let's do Rob, it. Thanks. 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 Yeah. Let's do this. Great. Great for you to be on here. Thanks for doing this. No, oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So, Rob Durham, f- founder, creator, winemaker, pommelier, owner for Durham Cider and Wine Co. Um, did I miss any titles? Any other your any any other roles that you have with the business? Oh, geez. Um, jan- <laughs> janitor, night janitor. Um, oh gosh dishwasher yeah um nice tasting room attendant yeah all right um where are you from originally uh born in newport bad news virginia um spent a couple years there and then uh my formative years i guess uh in new jersey now uh i see that cider comes before wine in your company at least in the title is that true in your life as well and preferences is that how you got into wine is through cider what was what was the genesis of your current fate as being what you are if you look at at my fridge and my house it's mostly wine Um, mostly wine yeah i got i got introduced to the the natural wine and cider world through wine um and i really enjoy wine um Grape wine, but right. look in my cellar and it's um, mostly apples. Um, right. And you know, c- cider making—I th- I treat it like wine making. Um, of course, the fruits are a little bit different—the apple and the grape. But um, living where I do, and so much opportunity to um, work with amazing vineyards, I—I I, um, I felt like I couldn't leave that out of of this mm. business, um, and. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, the heart of it would, would be cider, but there's so much crossover now and, and blending with the, you know, the coferments and fruit wines and such. Um, but I think the, the whole idea of this 
this thing, this business that, that I formed here came from a, working with an apple tree in my front yard. So yeah, I have to say I kind of lean more towards cider. Which front yard was that in, in Jersey? Yeah, I've had a lot. I've lived in a lot of states. Um, Colorado. <laughs> Colorado. Okay. Um, what was that? What did you do with that? What happened? What, 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 what caught your interest about that apple tree? And what was, what was the, the slippery slope? The road was the rabbit hole. What, mm. what was the entrance to the rabbit hole? Yeah. Um, it, it was a creative outlet, I think. Um, and I was already in the garage brewing beer at the time oh, okay. and experimenting with the beer quite a bit, um, smoking coconut and putting that into a porter with some tarragon and ancho chilies and pumpkin, um, lemon cucumber beers. And so I'm like, all right, what can I do with these apples in the beer? And I just decided, you know, I think let's just try to make cider. Um, we had so many apples. It was a huge, huge tree. Okay. And I think it was Macintosh. Uh, I never did really find out what it was, but uh, it was quite old. And I was just looking at a picture today of a carboy I was holding. First batch of cider ever. Six, oh, nice. Six-gallon carboy. And, um, yeah, I uh, rented some equipment. Uh, similar to how I make it today, except... Back then, I used pectin and put that into the ground-up apples, and I pitched some champagne yeast. But, uh, yeah, it turned out really nice, and uh, it went away quick. My friends drank it up quick, so I thought, all right, well, this might be be something. (laughs) Nice. So what was was your process of processing the apples? I mean, how did you mash them up? Uh, In Colorado, there was just a, a hand crank grinder. Okay, hand crank grinder. And then did you have a basket press that you lined with like cloth or something? Or would you do to press that? No, no, no lining, just the basket press. Just just slow pressure. Yep, slow squeeze. Mm -hmm. Okay. How'd that work out? Was that? It it was was great. You know, we did it out front and neighborhood kids came by and helped. Um, First year, it was 85 degrees and sunny. The the, uh, next harvest, which was two years later, was snowing and we had to build a fire uh, and uh it was a, a little community type little thing had some food out there some some drinks and uh it was a blast that sounds fantastic that's like the whole reason to do this in my mind uh in a lot of ways just to get people together and have a good time absolutely um, so well let's talk about where you are now i love that as a an, an intro into how you got into this um but now, where are you, and where's your winery? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I'm sitting in it right now, looking out okay. to, into uh, across the view of tanks. Um, yesterday, finished processing the last of the fruit the season. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um, and I'm in San Luis Obispo right now. Lovely. Right, yeah, right at the edge of downtown. Um, lovely little town, college town uh, on the central coast. California, um, and um, yeah, I got no. this, yeah. Go ahead. No, go, uh, well, I, I should have let you finish, but I was going to say most people don't think of the Central Coast in the same thought that they think of apple cider. Central Coast of California. Yeah, I, I, yeah, so I would what, agree with that. Yeah. What's so? Are you getting apples from there? Are you getting apples from abroad, so to speak? Yeah, I'm, well, not abroad, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes, that you know, there's quite a 
of apples being grown in this county in Santa Barbara oh, wow. County, the neighboring right. counties, but just specifically this this county. There there are orchards scattered more than than I uh, ever thought when I you know, wanted to do this here. Um, and you know, there's not much rainfall here, but um, there are some really nice established orchards and. Uh, I've worked with a lot of them, and um, there, there's some factors that make it tough. You know, maybe the the pricing's a little high in some cases, to where I just I just can't justify using too many apples from here. I, I think a lot of farmers and ranchers take a lot of their fruit to like the LA markets and can get a really high price, and uh, so it, it makes it tough to, to use the fruit for. Uh, yeah, you know. In my winery it's like it's like dessert apples that they could they could sell at a premium yeah so heirloom dessert yeah mm-hmm. okay and gotcha. uh so that is tough so if you're talking cider apple fruit um gotta travel a little bit um there is though if you look at california as a whole though california's up there uh, top five states for apple producers oh look at that never never would have thought i mean i guess we're top five states for producing everything yes yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah that's so i guess it's not surprising now that i think about it but but uh just because i mean we have so much space and so much variety of you know climate you know and i mean yeah elevation or latitude what we can do um, well in this county too especially we have all, so many microclimates yeah um, and so there's these nooks and crannies that have some really beautiful old orchards. Um, so I, and I, of course, that's optimal, ideal for me. Uh, and luckily, a lot of these are grown organically and or certified, which is very important to me. Uh, so and I'm always on the search for uh, for you know, new sources. It's pretty hard to find wild or feral trees around here, but there are orchards. Yeah, it's hard to find wild or feral anything in california at this point um I, i've found i mean other than cats tons of feral cats <laughs> in la <laughs> um <laughs> back alley kitties right totally yeah we have a couple that we've adopted um but yeah i mean i, I guess i just mean you know that everything is private land there's so much private land in california you know like I guess I guess the potential exists for abandoned things, but you know everything at one point. It's not like the Northeast, I guess, is what I'm thinking, where the apples sort of were planted, or you know, naturally by animals and birds and things like that, or just by falling and being reseeded around the mother tree. Um, here, it's like you know, if you find something, it definitely was planted at some point intentionally, and maybe it was abandoned for a while. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. that's that's kind of the story. Old homestead or, or right. Yeah, we just don't have the the lushness that I think is required for things to for apples specifically to just sprout up without without human intervention. Um, except in a few places, I'm sure we it can happen. But um, well, you you mentioned that it's important to you that a lot of these are being farmed organically. When did that become something that you cared about in in your career as a pommelier? <laughs> Um, well, uh, so you're talking just, um, with the fermented juice or, yeah, well, or I just mean, in my like, life. I mean, like similar, it sounds like similar to me, you started with the beverage. I, I mean, I, I, I think this is what's magical about wine and cider is you start with this, this 
sensual experience of tasting something that just, you know, makes your mouth dance. And that sort of leads you backwards to like, well, how is this made? And then you start making it. And all you're thinking about is sort of, you know, that the, it's almost like a recipe. It's like, how do you cook something? You know, you, you get these ingredients and then you mix them together and voila, you know, you do these processes and voila, you have this thing that tastes good. And then after a while, you're like, wait a minute. Same with cooking too. You start to be like, okay, but the ingredients can taste better depending on where they're grown and you get different things. And then it sort of leads you backwards to this, the source, which is the earth. And then you start thinking about, okay, the way that we're farming this is actually really important to the end product. And then you start, when you start realizing that, making that connection, then you start thinking like, oh, you know, and it's also really important to the entire world because it's affecting climate change and our health as a culture, our health as individuals, our health as an environment. And I don't know, you know, so how, how did that happen for you? I guess that's kind of been my, I don't know if that's exactly been yours, but I, it seems like that's the magical possibility of wine and cider, anything in that realm where you, you just fall in love with it in the glass and then it sort of inexorably leads you back to the earth and its connection to everything. Yeah, I like that, the magical possibilities. Uh, <laughs> on, on my way in this morning, I stopped by a local farm to pick up a weekly bag and I was talking to the farmer. Oh, what was that again? You just get oh. a little quiet there. Can you just, oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the way in this morning, I stopped by the local farm and was talking to the farmer uh, to pick up my weekly share and we were talking organics and um, he said, you know, like organic fruit, you know, talking about a lot of different things across organics, uh, certification, soils, and, and he said, you know, with organic fruit, it's, it's so nice because you get you bite into it and you know it's organic because it's got these layers of taste and flavors and, and whatnot. And then he said, and the finish is clean. And if you get those two things and then a short while, while later you want to have another bite, you know, you know that you're eating some organic, you know, or, or fruit or vegetables farmed, um, you know, I, I don't know, with intent or, you know, with the soil in mind or, you know, yeah. minimizing the inputs. Um, but to go back to your question, um, I think like for me in my life, it was, uh, I was on my bicycle and I, I rolled into a farm, a Roniger's um, organic potato farm in Idaho. And that's what changed my, my whole, changed my life really, but changed my perception of food um, and drink. And um, ended up staying and working on the farm for two weeks and um, that's when I learned Sweet. about. Go ahead. No, 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 go, go, go ahead. Finish well, that. Well, that's uh, where I learned about organics. I mean, this was 2000, year 2000, and um, okay. and Uncle Dave taught me about you know eating healthy and and farming healthy, keeping the soil healthy, and uh, you know that's where I got introduced to organics, and haven't turned back since. And um, you know, I'm not a stickler for the organic certification. I know that's changed a lot in the 20 years since I've been following it. But uh, I mean, if I'm at, if I'm going to the store, I'm going to buy a vegetable that's certified organic every time. Um, it's just because it's important to me. And I've studied um, a lot of different, um, I don't know what you would call it, you know, just uh, philosophies and ideas, permaculture and biodynamics and regenerative farming and key line design and and whatnot and i had an edible landscaping company in the past and it was always based on 
taking, just keep taking things away until I get to the bare bones of it. Like, why do I have to apply this or spray this? There's gotta be a, and I kept, you know, just kept looking for the next thing. And, uh, and I think that now coming into the present with my winery, you know, I don't pitch yeast anymore. Um, I, it's basically just juice. I mean, that's all it is. It's just taking uh, organic fruit and turning it into liquid and letting letting it go, trying to get you know, a pure product. If any of that made any sense. little tangent. Yeah. There, sorry. So, well, I love everything you just said. And I, have a, I mean, I'll just briefly touch on that, uh, the thing about what you said about not caring, or not ca- you do care, but you're not as much of a strickler or that it's certified in the fruit that you're using as, but that's that's very different than when you're at the grocery store. The grocery store, you have no connection to those farmers a lot of times, and the only thing you have to go on is that certification. You can't know how something was farmed if it's not certified, really. Whereas if you're working directly with the farmer, which we are when we're buying apples and grapes and things like that, you can walk that farm, you can look through their you know chemical cupboard, you can talk to them, you can research you know their pesticide use reports. There's a lot of ways that you can confirm that they've been intentional and very, you know, positive in their farming uh, that, you know, that makes it possible for you to, to feel comfortable without having that certification. So that makes a lot of sense to me, I think. I don't know if that's the way you feel about it, but. Yeah, I do. I agree with that, you know, and the relationship with, with the apple farmer, the grape farmer is very important to me and, and keeping yeah. in contact throughout the year and, and just talking, keeping the conversation going about, you know, um, you know, maybe experimenting with maybe trying this or that. And, um, so it's, uh, you know, I, they, it's their land, it's their farms, but I'm, I'm always kind of picking their brains and, and, uh, you know, just trying to come up with, uh, you know, uh, for example, uh, one of the apple farmers, um, I, I said, what about if we don't, spray any sulfur on the trees for a couple rows and just kind of experiment see how that goes and see how the fermentations maybe change and um he was totally up for it and uh you know so just things like that it, i think it's nice to, to have a relationship with the farmer yeah yeah how'd that go it's still going this is year two with that okay, fruit so um went out to so the orchards it- last week and was really taking a look at the trees and asking him and um yeah, I mean, no ill effects from from negating those. Uh, is there no spray then? Was the sulfur the only spray that you were that they were yes. getting? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. It, these are certified organic. Um, yeah. But so I mean, you could. There's a couple other things you could use, but it might there might not be necessary. I, mean, I think that is kind of the advantage to apple trees in California, where we don't have the moisture pressures that they have on the you know where the the apples are doing are thriving on the east coast but they're also like dealing with all kinds of fungal issues that we don't have to deal with and i the same with me i've i've like a big i thrive three thriving trees in my backyard and never spray you know mm-hmm. um and I, that the dryness really helps with that that's interesting i like that yeah. um of course we have other issues that the folks on the east coast we have, don't have we have to water our but, trees yeah. <laughs> uh, for the most part um <laughs> it's a big one which is i mean becoming a bigger deal to me now just with what i i see prolonged extended droughts probably on the horizon for you know i don't know the next century you would probably. think and, yeah um and and who knows like how bad they'll be and you know at what point do we say like you know if it 
needs irrigation, we shouldn't be growing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, water, not conservation, but, you know, keeping the water on the farm, you know, smart design uh, is going to mm. be huge in the future. You know, there's yeah. uh, recycling and that kind of thing. Yeah, like. on contour planting, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned you're using, you're letting uh, just native ferments happen now. And, yeah. and you used to pitch some champagne yeast. Um, do you have like a, a real dogma about that? How do you feel about that? Is that a, is that like a, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know how else to put it. Is it, are you committed to that? Yeah. Regardless of what happens or, uh, yeah. Okay. You're good. Tell me about it. Tell me your thoughts about that. Um, it was kind of a last second decision, Durham cider wine to not bring yeast in. And okay. it was, it was a tough one. I lost some sleep over it. Like, you know, but I put my full trust into it. Every single batch is, gone off just fine um you know there's always the the slowed fermentations or the stuck fermentations maybe bring it outside if it's warm or bring in the heater or you know add some juice from another batch um right but i have thought about it um for about a second i said no no i'm not gonna i don't need to fix this slow fermentation i'll just deal with it in another way so um i don't i don't know i mean I just, um, I think it brings a nice character to the end product, to the wine uh, with a native ferment. But um, yeah, I, uh, it, it works. It works for me. So uh, yeah, I'm going with it. Yeah, no, I don't, I mean, I don't disagree. I, I like it too. I, um, how, do you have other similar uh, principles in your winemaking that you are committed to? Let's like see. are you zero sulfur or... I am now. Other inputs. I am now. Okay. Um, in 2019, my first my first harvest. I um, 2019 <laughs> I used it uh, a little bit, and 2020 I did not, and 2021 uh, nothing at all either. Um, and is but, that both in your cider and your wine? Correct. Uh, your grape wine, I should say. Correct. Uh, now I I feel like cheating a little bit because I've only made sparkling. Well, that's what, that was my next question. Yeah, I, th- I think that is where you can. You, there's no quality loss without without sulfites. I mean, no potential quality loss. Or, I mean, the, the you minimize your risk of quality loss when you're doing sparkling without sulfites um, significantly because you have all that protection from the CO2. Yeah, um, and I bottle um, if I can catch it at the right time. Um, to essentially, doing style. like a pet net. Yeah, yeah, which. Okay. Do you, you know, then disgorge as well? Depending. I mean, with, with the grape wines, yes, because there's quite a bit of sediment. But with the um, ciders, no, I, I don't I don't have to. Uh, and I don't want to either. I think it yeah. adds a nice element, but it also you know, takes up a lot of time and you kind of lose a bit of product too. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. But, um, you know, if I, if I were to do a bottle of still wine... You know that, and that's a whole other conversation. I know it's a big one, kind of in the natural wine world. Is sulfur, no sulfur? Is a little bit of bottling? Is that a big deal and whatnot? Um, so I'm not totally against sulfur, but um, I figure, yeah, if I'm making the sparkling, then I'm gonna roll without it. I um, I store my two barrels, um, and they're old rum barrels, um, in a a sulfur a water sulfur citric solution and so when i opened that bag up of sulfur for the first time and and mixed it i didn't i didn't know anything really about sulfur other than it and then i i took a normal breath 
and it like <laughs> it knocked me down yeah. off my feet and i was yeah. out for like 10 minutes and so that changed my opinion on sulfur like holy right right crap yeah. this is this ain't no joke whatever's in this bag yeah. this white powder and i don't know i mean yeah i know it's tiny tiny little bits preservative at bottling i don't know i mean i've i've drank wines that were amazing and have been sulfured like that and so i don't really know where i stand on that but um again you know because i'm making a lot of pet nets i i feel like um don't i don't really want to use it yeah you don't really have a need of it yeah 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 i sort of feel about sulfur i what i should say is i, I have no judgment over what a winemaker chooses to do with sulfur you know like if you want to use it great if you mm-hmm. don't want to use it great like i really like if you know and if the wine is the way you want it to be because of that great like yeah. then you're just you're acting with intention i have no i there to me it's like yeah like you said i mean i've had wines that have been over sulfured and i just think like if you use that much that i can tell you've sulfured your wine then that's just a, a flaw like any other flaw in winemaking. You yeah. know? Like it's just bad winemaking. Sure. But you know, if I if I can taste the wine and it's the way you intended it to taste, and it doesn't taste like a chemical or a flaw of some other kind, then whatever you did was right. Like you and and it's sort of like I feel like we should trust winemakers a little bit more to make those decisions because retailers and sommeliers who are like hardcore natural wine have no idea the chemistry that goes into these decisions, you know, Mm -hmm. like when, and the risk that's involved in like, you know, not adding this tiny microscopic amount of sulfites to wine can literally save somebody millions of dollars, you know, and, and, or lose them if they don't use it. And, and then to be so crazily judgmental about it at the end of the day, when it's like you don't even know the chemistry that goes into these decisions please like leave it up to the winemaker you know like just judge the wine on on its merits like like you know i i've yeah anyway that's my feelings about no, it but I, 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 I i respect your you know everybody's decision about it really if if the wine's good um yeah i wonder how long we'll be having this conversation yeah, about sulfur yeah. you know it might i, I keep having soon. I have this conversation so that I can say that I think it shouldn't be a conversation. Yeah. Basically, um, that's yeah. that's my whole conversation about it right now. There but, we go. Uh, I, I think it's dying. It's definitely yeah. diminishing. It's dying down. Um, glad, like I'm happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, so then, I, you know, I just wanted to get a sense of your winemaking because of that. But I also mm-hmm. like going back to the thing that you started this last little segment talking about. Um, it sounds like you took. Uh, like a bike trip across the west or something like that i did uh coast to coast uh port okay. let's see um cape elizabeth maine to cape elizabeth washington sweet all right and uh against the wind you? so we went against the wind everybody else was going west to east, oh like west to east right no, we so didn't get that memo anti-jet so. stream yeah coast to coast like buttered That's toast nice. it was a good trip yeah it was wonderful well, you are all the more you're all the more fit and strong for having gone against the wind. Did, That's right. Did you, just, did you just listen to that song the whole way across? <laughs> you know, I had like a Forrest uh, Gump song. <laughs> yeah, I had uh, a CD player and a pair of speakers on my handlebars. Fun nice. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, what was your least favorite state? Oh, Canada. <laughs> all of Canada. Oh, yeah. I mean. <laughs> we, t- we, t- we put our bikes in the back of a taxi at one point. We're like, we never said we're riding across uh, 
Canada. We're riding across the country, U.S. I mean, people were trying to run us off the road. I mean, there are potholes what? everywhere. It was, we just, we took a taxi into Toronto and then, and then I got my speaker stolen in Paris, Canada. Um, it was just a bad scene. We had to get out of there. Boy, this is like contrary to everything we hear, all the stereotypes we hear about Canadians. They just must not like bikers. I don't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> all right what about uh state of the u.s going across did you go through the u.s the least favorite oh, i i hate um yeah we went route two basically okay um least favorite i i mean i guess michigan but oh, that was okay. a lot of personal stuff kind of that okay. happened there right. but um okay. the upper peninsula of michigan different story that that okay. was a special place how did you get to the upper mince? Were the, you like going the UP? The UP. Um, we they wouldn't let us ride our bikes across the Mackinac Bridge, so we went over to Mackinac Island. They wouldn't let us ride our bikes because of the wind, and um, so oh. we, I mean, but yeah, we okay. It was, it was a great trip. That's amazing. Uh, so on this trip, did you make any other two week work stops besides Idaho? Um, no. Mm-mm. Okay, so there was something about this. So, what was that like? Like, what did you discover there? What did you see? What what drew you in? What was what was that experience like? Um, it's a potato farm, or potato was it... organic potato farm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and you had Uncle Dave. Did you say Uncle Dave? Was, yeah, he's the owner. Yeah, he he passed away a couple of years ago, but he he started the farm from scratch and um, in Moye Springs, Idaho, way up in the upper panhandle and um it's just yeah he we um we're gonna stay just a couple of nights ended up spending two weeks and, and working and and just uh, learning about farming and and talking organics at dinner every night that's amazing so what did you learn from uncle dave gosh i learned that soil is important hard work uh gets things done uh eating healthy will give you the energy to do the hard work um uh, connections you know like community uh yeah so much in that and i went back after after that visit but um it just changed my whole mindset yeah i mean i was a young young and um young impressionable lad yeah but it was it was perfect yeah that's great sounds fantastic yeah i love that little way way got a little waylaid by destiny that's right um (laughs) well so tell tell us uh, about what you're making now like what are the ciders where what are what are the apples you're working with what are the grapes you're working with where yeah you know what tell tell us about that what's exciting you in your portfolio oh there's there's so much um i just can't stop experimenting um i do a lot (laughs) it's an addiction gosh yeah um first year did some crazy uh, 2019. I did a strawberry cherimoya with apples. That was kind of wild nice. and out there. Um, nice. I worked with some Grenache. And um, 2020, I did some apple gooseberry, um, apple chardonnay. I did uh, been working with some bitter apples, uh, which have been really fun. You know, a little more tannins and and acidity. Uh, bitter sharp and bitter sweet apples, um, like varieties Kingston Black or Harrison. Mm. Are they uh, growing them out here? Yeah, they are. Uh, these come from Oregon. 
Um, oh. yeah, I ran into uh, a couple uh, in my hometown, and her um, sister married an apple farmer. And I said, oh, cool. Does he grow bitter apples by chance? And she said, you know, I think he does. And so the gist of it is he, he planted his orchard in 2016 in, in Oregon, and after harvest comes down to you know vacation uh in my hometown and so he just loads up he presses the apples and loads them up and they arrive two days later um and so it's been fun working with you know these these fun varieties that have a little easier time growing up in the northern latitudes of oregon right that's great yeah i like some of uh i'm just going to give a taste of your labeling so a tribe called quince Mm -hmm. uh blump bloop blimp yes <laughs> invite the night I like yeah. that one what goes into that one that's grenache that's your grenache huh that's my grenache yeah two-day maceration pet net disgorged Beautiful. um yeah the, 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 the trouble is i gotta make labels for all these right experiments, all the experiments. and i and i gotta yeah. you know gotta uh, be creative <laughs> yeah all that I gotta you know set up the bottling equipment Take it down and clean it. Approved. Send it uh, to TTV. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I did 19 yeah. different uh, cuvées, or, you know, bottlings in 2019. Oh, are you going to do 2020 and 2020? Yeah. <laughs> 21 and 21? <laughs> I think I've, I managed to bring it down to 17 last year. And, <laughs> and gosh, this year it's going to be like 15. Yeah. 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 Um, well, what's done well for you? I mean, what are what are people... What I mean, what... what uh, so you're doing like somewhere between 17 and 19. How much of each of those? Like uh, how many cases or? Yeah, good question. Um, any Anywhere between, gosh, like 25 cases up to 110. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. It's limited. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. This uh, year I'll make a thousand cases. Last year it was 800 and I forget what 2019 was. Oh, nice. All right. And here's one called Everything is Mood, which is... 75% Gravenstein and 25% Golden Plums. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I foraged those plums uh, from my hometown. And that was fun. It's always great for me to get out and pick whenever I can and get out in the, in the orchard yeah. or, or get get in the branches and, and smell the smells, you know, and and yeah, yeah. Sweat, sweat for it, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah. It does feel better. Um, I know that feeling. I, I yeah. I have lots of thoughts about that. Um, these are all like very reasonably priced. I got to say, like, there's nothing over like twenty six dollars on your website that I see. Is that is in my is that right? That's correct. These are great, great, great prices. Um, and your website is Durham Cider and Wine, and it's not an ampersand. It's a n d wine dot com. Uh, Durham d u r h a m cider and wine dot com. Mm -hmm. um, but, you and people can come and taste how much yeah. of your 20 different varieties or and multiple vintages of things do people get to try when they come and taste at your tasting room yeah so it's uh it's a by appointment tasting okay. and uh, okay. i've got uh, a couple on tap at all times um and then it's just kind of you know it's i usually open up um four bottles you know sometimes okay. three sometimes six or seven depending on the size um yeah, and it's it's um I don't know I, I I haven't had tasting you know I kind of shut it down during harvest but um I'm about to kind of 
you know, get it going again, the tastings, but um, I'm pretty much all out of my 2019s. And I like to let my my wines and ciders hang out in the bottle for a while. I think, you know, a year is, is kind of ideal in how I build it into the business plan. I just think they show much better. Um, yeah. And being pretty much a, a one-person operation, um, I still haven't labeled the 2020s. They're ready to go, but I just need to label them now. So, um, you know, at the moment, it's, it's kind of limited for what we can taste right now. But, you know, I'll pull out the forklift and, and we'll put it up the bar, bar level height and we'll go out front <laughs> or out back and um, out in the sunshine and just have a good old time. So it's, it's been fun. Uh, yeah. A lot of nice Where are you located? I'm right off the 101 in San Luis Obispo. Lovely. All right. Good. All right. Just putting that out there for anybody cruising through the central coast. Um, how did you end up there? I mean, you've, you've bounced around, you've been, you know, came from the East coast through Colorado, transverse the continent a couple times, by yep. bike a couple times. Yeah. And now you're there. Did you have, did you, did you get a wine? Have you staged at a, like as a apprentice winemaker or cider maker anywhere? I mean, you, and I kind of want to know the story of how you got fired from the brewery, but mm. Only if you want to tell it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I've, we can't forget Massachusetts, Kentucky, and, oh. and Washington. <clears throat> okay, um, so you've done, done time in each of those fine states. That's right. Oh, and, and Montana. Yeah. Nice. Uh, right on. How long in each? How old are you? What are you? Yeah, like? I'm old. That's yeah, I'm old. <laughs> I'll just say that I'm old. <laughs> no I'm kidding. I'm... <laughs> I got I got the gray hairs popping all in the beard and you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. how, how long did you spend in like, what's the shortest amount of time in one of those? Um, yeah, let's see. So a year. A okay. Year. Yeah. That's yeah. a good, yeah, no, that's, that's uh, it's plenty of time. But I, yeah. I still so, claim it as a, as a yeah. stop. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I claim Amsterdam. I was there for a year. Um, <laughs> <Heck> yeah. <laughs> how, how long, I mean, how, so how long have you been where you are? Yeah. So, uh, 2018 and started the, business in 19 um did you come with that intent you came with yes yeah okay like from colorado yeah with the intent change change the career change it up um and uh, were you doing the edible landscaping thing in colorado no i was doing pharmacy in colorado pharmacy okay and on the weekends just fermenting like a green cross pharmacy or like a no 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 (laughs) Okay, just checking, you know, Colorado's uh, ahead of us on that one. So, yeah, Um, yeah. Uh, and so, but I I wasn't sure if I was going to wanted to do beer or, or cider. I didn't think I, I knew enough to do wine. So I was like, all right, between these two. And I took a job at a brewery in Colorado and, you know, a, a brewery that made good beer, they got a GABF medal you know, it's a real deal thing. And yeah, Colorado uh, is, I think Colorado is like the number one, like microbrew state in the nation, actually. Like per capita, there's more microbreweries than any other mm, state. And most of them are good. Solid. Yeah. Yeah. I so, live in Colorado. That's why I'm able to talk. Okay. Yeah. I was into that beer scene very much so, nice. but I, uh, well, I, I just, it was, I don't know what I did wrong. I think the guy that the owner wanted me to do, through step by step exactly how he would have done it and i just kind of tried to customize it a little bit just because i i couldn't do it his way to the t 
and he didn't like that. And um, yeah, it was a tough one to, to take that. I was like, oh gosh, well, my dream has been shut down pretty quick here. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, just well, who knows? If you'd done well there, maybe you wouldn't be where you are now. We wouldn't get to taste these uh, creative creations of yours. Yeah, you know, I wish I was able to send you uh, some bottles, you know, before we talked. But you know, uh, crazy know, busy harvest time. Uh, no, no, couldn't make that totally happen. Fine. Yeah, this was like an impromptu thing. I'm glad you could make time for it. Um, so, but you that okay? So, when was the edible landscaping? Yeah, so I that, just wanted to touch on that. Yeah, yeah, that was in 2000. I started that in 2007 in California. So this is not my first time. Not, the, not my first rodeo in California. You're a backslidden Californian. Yep. My... So you got out and they pulled you back in, huh? Gosh, yeah. <laughs> I love that idea. I mean, I, I just, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it wasn't, people, I don't know, I don't want to say it was before it's time, but people, I don't know, they didn't get it. I don't even know if they do much of it now, but, and you know, 2008 came around. That was a tough little thing, tough little time, you know, people yeah. weren't spending money uh, to put food in their lawn, although that made you think about it now, it make a lot of sense, but yeah. Um, yeah, I was doing, you know, I was, um, I wasn't even ripping up lawns. I was leaving them intact and in place and, you know, doing, throwing paper, um, big rolls of paper over them and then straw and, and horse manure and then, you know, removing the lawn that way. So keeping on right. it. Yeah. And, um, and planting keeping all that organic matter intact, keeping it intact and, and doing, you know, reshaping the land a little bit to like I was talking about earlier to instead of having the water run off your property, keep it on your property and slow it Terraces down and, and, and spread it and like sink that. it. Yeah. yeah. And using urbanite um, and planting trees, tons of fruit trees. That was an easy sell. Um, you know, yeah. at least get some fruit trees in there for some people. And what were uh, the harder sell things. Oh, the food forest. I think mean, I was amped up on food forests. I thought, you know, oh, this is, this is so the future. What's a food forest. What, what's that like? I mean, I, I guess you're trying to mimic what you see out there. Um, I, I don't want to see say out in nature because I, I think we I, I feel like humans, we are part of nature. Um, you know, when, yeah, well said. Yeah. Um, it's hard. It I'm took me a while to, to understand that and see that. But um, just cut layers. You know, you have your ground cover, you have your vines, you have your short lower shrubs you have your medium-sized trees your tall trees and and all this planted together and um they all produce something or are completely edible themselves yeah and they're helping one another you know form this great little mini ecosystem that you can just throw up your hammock and just sit in it and pick food off of all around you and that was my my vision this is what i'm going to create for people a good life yeah yes i, I mean i love that i Truly, truly love that. That's that's great. And so people, but people wouldn't buy into it. Was it too messy for people? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, it, it was on the Central Coast here, and I don't know. I, it, it was the economy, you know. It was, a little of this and a little of that kind it was, of thing. It just, uh, yeah, it just never really took off. You know, I even switched over everything for my maintenance unit uh, to uh, battery-powered equipment. Okay. Uh, so I was really, you know, trying to... And that was supposed to, to gas. You mean? Yes, it, it was all battery powered stuff, and you know, like that was when like green and sustainable were like the keywords, and and I was right. trying to trying to be that and do that and see what would happen, and did some great projects, 
but uh yeah never never stuck huh so what what <laughs> i mean there's so much we could learn from you i think just about that um are you doing that with your own yard now or are you i mean do you have a place where you can do that yes uh, of your own mm-hmm. i got a tiny little yard and uh absolutely with it? yeah i'm all about perennials um yeah so what are what are those like what do you got planted gosh i've got See, I live in a nice little climate. I got pomegranate figs. I got bananas. I got blueberries, plums, citrus, apples, of course, apricot, rhubarb, and asparagus, and all the herbs and strawberries and uh, yeah. marionberries, and the list goes on, you know. And and um, you know, growing other plants that that comfrey for one. Did you? Which, can, is it is it tempered enough that you can do avocado? Yes. Mm-hmm. Got it. Nice. Yeah. Coastal enough, I should say, I guess, getting that tempering. Uh, you should try macadamia nut if you haven't. Yeah, I don't have that really much well. space, though. I mean, I think if no. you planted a, a macadamia in the front and an avocado on the back, I, I have no more space. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Note to self. I have, I have one of each of those in the front yard, <laughs> um, along with a bunch of other stuff. Pomegranate. Well, the macadamia is not too big. But, and you can, of course, can how much you want to put yeah, into hack it. Pruning. Yeah, Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, that's kind of that's what we're attempting to do, or I'm attempting to do. Yeah, oh, I love that. What do you do for ground cover? Um, I've got some clover, New Zealand white clover. Um, okay, can you eat that? I suppose I don't know. <laughs> you don't eat it though. <laughs> I don't no. I've got plenty um, of other green things in my yeah, garden. Yeah, cheap. To eat. They could eat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes a little less water than the Dutch variety. Okay. I like that in the food forest. It's setting. a nitrogen fixer too. Yeah. If I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. I got some um, chamomile too. You know, you got to have some things that look pretty and smell nice too. You know, okay. uh, got to throw some flowers in there too. Yeah. Nasturtium is like one of my favorites. I mean, it's seasonal, you know, if, unless you're watering year round, but it's like a fantastic, like once, once it establishes itself, you have these beautiful flowers that pop up and spread around, sort of vine around as a ground cover and they do well in, you know, low light, so they're great in the understory, under trees and things, and then you can eat them too. Yeah, great in a salad, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, just trying little by little, you know, making a little compost pile and, and you know, use worm castings from the local farm and this and that, and just, just having fun, really. It's it's kind of a hobby, yeah. and, then, and it is yeah. nice to go out there and pick these, you know, odd heirloom varieties, bring it into the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you do you use um, the sort of passive solar aspects of permaculture, where you have like you know a big deciduous tree to give you shade in the summer, then then loses we uh, its leaves so you get sun in the winter kind of thing? Yeah, it's kind of the opposite though. I live on coastal, cold, foggy, low so so. Got it. It's, yeah, I don't want any shade. You don't want right. Got it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely yeah there's so many techniques you know and yeah it's you messing around with growing grapes uh just um seedless concrete okay oh that's nice and easy that's good yeah. Yeah. um i mean still takes time but like uh, you probably don't have to spray that or do anything with that i'm guessing mm-hmm. not yet yeah. nice um i love that well anything else that you would like to share about the cidery winery Anything that people that would that would be, or just you know, anything, any closing words of wisdom. Yeah, no. Or or no, calls to action. Ooh, no wisdom coming from me. <laughs> Call to action. Gosh, I feel like I should have something, but um, 
Oh. Buy, buy, buy some buy some Durham cider. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's I mean, that's why I make it is is for people to get excited about it. I just remember being in the beer scene in Colorado and just always being so excited about something new coming out or just, you know, just just the excitement when I would pull a bottle from the fridge and that's just what I want to pass on to people out there and and for them to know that um I'm working with farmers who care about their soil and certified organic or not. There's still everybody, all the fruit that I get is, I don't like the phrase clean, but I, I feel like it's, it's really, it's grown, it's grown well, uh, at least with some, you know, a lot of it intent on uh, doing better for, for the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like with the, with the intent of using farming as a tool to improve the environment rather than just extract wealth that yeah. you can then cash in kind of thing. Exactly. And I'm trying to be as transparent as I possibly can. I'll tell you anything you want to know. And I put that on a label as much as I can fit it in there. And, and I don't, yeah, you're, yeah, you're, I mean, I'll just back that up and say, as I click on each of your photos of your, of your ciders and wines that you have pretty much just like bullet pointed, anything anybody would want to know, uh, you know, from tasting notes to the kind of things that went into it, to the, you know, fermentation, to any additives or ingredients and whether the vineyard was certified or how it was farmed, uh, or vineyard or orchard or whatever, or yeah. And, uh, so I love that. I love the transparency, huge, important thing. You know, something I'm going to throw this out to you, uh, that, I just saw like a pledge online that I, that we're trying to participate in now uh, on our labels is to uh, list our bottle weight, the, mm. you know, the, the empty bottle weight, to start bringing attention to that um, and and be transparent about it as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I focus on finding the lightest weight bottle I can find. That, that, yeah. But then it's like, well, it comes from a pretty far distance. Does that cancel out? Like the long trucking, <laughs> does it cancel out? But well, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. Like, not everybody has, like, a glass factory in their backyard. Um, I mean, we do have some, I don't know if you know our dog group, but they're they're producing, mm-hmm. you know, here in California, at least. So we can get California-produced bottles, uh, you know, as long as they're available and the supply chains aren't interrupted. Um, mm. But, yeah, no, and it's tough, too, when you're doing sparkling because you have to have a heavier bottle. So it's all the more important, I think, to be conscientious about it and not just be like throwing weight on the bottle that's unnecessary because you're already, you know, 30% more than like yeah. a still wine needs to be because of the, the pressure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at minimum 30%. More. But um, sorry, and then I, I cut you off. You were going to say some things. You were continuing to say some things about your wine uh, and how you try to be transparent and list things. And if anybody has any questions, you put that out there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just juice it, i try and keep it at that you know just just bringing in good fruit and letting it do its thing and um you know, it's nothing but juice so uh i just want people to you know i think you can kind of taste that you know you can you can taste that it's hasn't been altered too much uh-huh. I and mean, of course i have to alter it i'm chopping the fruit and I'm racking it here and there but um yeah it's um i just hope people feel good when they when they drink it Oh, stylistically, how would you describe it? Because I know you're, you know, it is 
bare bones in terms of uh, in terms of intervention, but you're making choices. Obviously, we all make choices about when to pick, and uh, and that's going to affect at least you know acidity levels and things like that. You know, your co-ferments or choices um, stylistically. What, what kind of what do you like? Like, what are you what are you making? Mm. Um, stylistically, I like. I've been into the the skin contact wines. So I, I uh, did a two week skin contact Riesling um, this year. And then that's, that's fizzy too? No, that's going to be, I think that's going to be a, a still wine. It might be my first corked wine. I, I usually um, crown cap. The, I have uh, done, a, I have done yeah. a still wine and I crown capped it, but I think that might be the first <laughs> one I put a cork in. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, playing around with, with, these different fruits, uh, plums, I think plums and grapes and apples are really nice. Um, and then as far as just straight apple and cider, um, it's tannins are fun. Um, okay. but I do, I do, I guess balance, you know, balanced, right? Everybody wants to make a balanced <laughs> well, beverage, no, but, that's, but that's, fair. That's, that's fair. I think then people kind of, you know, we'll just come to, to, to see you know the fruit and everything i mean there's some people who are like acid heads and you know like you're gonna get searing acidity on pretty much everything they make you know other people like i don't know yeah I mean, i'm all over the board i mean yeah, yeah i've made 50 in three years 50 different bottling so i mean you're gonna find something you like i think <laughs> uh, i love that yeah. but the yeah the, it, uh, so when you're blending of course then it's you know the balance is it's important but then you know, doing these single variety ciders is kind of fun too when you find that apple that that has that balance already there um, yeah that's kind of fun. A, is there a variety that you you think you find that in regularly yeah absolutely harrison i think by far is my harrison. favorite apple i don't know if that's because it was discovered in new jersey but ah, there's a town it, named harrison new jersey mm-hmm, yeah dirty jersey but uh <laughs> I, I love that apple and i think it's it can stand alone you don't need to do it uh, blending. Yeah. You know, it's funny is people think of Jersey because it's, you know, Jersey Shore. It's like across the river from Manhattan. It's, you know, it's got that urban thing. But Jersey is like much more of an agricultural state than most people. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm in Pennsylvania and the blueberries are from Jersey. I'm, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania. So and like, no joke, like every time I go to buy blueberries in Pennsylvania, they're from Jersey. Um, it's a the big gar- agriculture state. The, yeah. the, the Garden, Garden State. state. Hey, <laughs> there you go. Tomatoes, um, corn, peaches, yeah. blueberries. Yeah. yeah, you have the the high acid soils from you know, and then the you, know, you get the sand. You get that. It's sort of like that very good for the high acid crops, like berries. You know, the blueberries. Cran- don't forget cranberries. Yeah, and cranberries. Right. Yeah, it's nice. Um. Okay. Great. <laughs> Just putting a putting a positive word out there for dirty jersey. Yes. Yes, <laughs> we, we we elevated Jersey and just ragged on Michigan and all of Canada. Oh, that's right, and, and only South Jersey too. Let's rag on North Jersey because we we don't okay. like North Jersey, so uh, strictly South Jersey gets props. All right, cool. Yeah, um, well, cool. I I mean, I'm very excited to try your stuff. I'm I'm hoping this is wet everyone's whistle to try it as well. It sounds like uh, your intent will be something worth checking out in your in your beverages and i'm excited to try that and uh thank you for taking the time to do this i appreciate it 
No, thank you. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I hope I was, uh, my words are interesting to, to you and whoever listens to this. So um, check me out. Come, come by for a taste. Hit me up if you got any questions. And uh, is there, yeah? Do you uh, just to close out? Do you have a a way you prefer people to get in touch with you? Is there email, Instagram, whatever? Go yeah, to the website. Th- yeah, I think you mentioned the website DurhamCiderAndWine.com. Um, all my information is there. Emails and maybe even a phone number. I don't know. Uh, Instagram Durham.Cider.Wine. Um, and you know, just come by find me uh, i'm kind of nondescript i don't have any signs in front of my building but uh <laughs> it's a speakeasy just come by me. and yeah come by and smell for the good quince apple grape smell is oh, coming man. coming out this time of year especially it's got to smell wonderful oh it does it's so good <laughs> all right well thanks great i hope uh, i hope you do get some traffic <laughs> and uh i will definitely be one of those people. Thank you. Thank you.